This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. I don't do sides. Hey guys, and welcome to this special uh, franchise critique mini-sode where we'll be talking about a newly released film that is currently in theaters. And so tonight we'll be doing a quick spoiler-free reaction to Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. That's a mouthful. Uh, and since my wonderful co-host James is a sadly an illiterate barbarian uh, who hasn't yet read the Harry Potter series, I am joined by our well-read friend Ryan Wall uh, to stand in for him. Welcome back to Franchise Fatigue, Ryan. I'm glad to be back. I, I'm just glad to be here. I just hate that uh, your co-host has, had to be an illiterate barbarian. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can't give him too much grief. We, we are bringing him up, right? So uh, eventually he'll be there. Yeah, and to be fair to James, he actually has made a lot, uh, quite a few strides in rating the series over the last month or so. And hopefully within a year, he might have, have the entire series finished. And then we can finally do the Harry Potter series. This Watching this movie has made, has got me absolutely dying to talk about the entire saga start to finish. Yeah, I, I, I can't wait for y'all to cover it in full. Uh, but uh, for now, uh, let's just focus on this wonderful movie we have in front of us. There is a lot to talk about, and uh, since this is going to be a short, spoiler-free discussion, um, we're just going to dive straight into it. Ryan, uh, just to give us, I guess, give us a little bit of context. What were your thoughts on the previous um, Fantastic Beasts film, and uh, what are your thoughts, and how does that move into your thoughts on this one? So, for the first Fantastic Beast, I thought it was a, a beautifully self-contained story, and in some ways, it's it's kind of an antithesis to this. In that uh, the, the, the original Fantastic Beast, you could have used that – I wouldn't recommend it, but you could have used that as a starting point in the franchise. Um, mm -hmm. You would miss a lot of the finer, juicier details and what all the implications, but you theoretically could join in. And it was, it was kept relatively simple. It was a self-contained story. You didn't need to have all this knowledge of the franchise. It helped. Uh, but I, I actually did like that about it in that it was this neat side story. Um, well, I mean, it was a prequel, really, but I, I do appreciate that. In, in some ways, it is one of the finest and strongest stories in the franchise, but it's not actually uh, – you know, of course, it doesn't exist in a vacuum, and I think that that shows more here with this next entry. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because most of the Harry Potter films kind of function as companion pieces to the books, and they're they're wonderful as that. But this is it's weird, kind of going into these stories without a book to compare it to, and that there or there, and then like the first one was actually a fully functional story, whereas some of the other films don't actually function without the books next to them. Yes. So, uh, moving off of that, how do you feel about this film? What are your overall thoughts? Just to start off with. Um, well, like I said, it's kind of the antithesis of, of the original Fantastic Beasts. Um, I understand if you are a very casual fan, you may be lost in this. Um, yeah. If, if it's very inside baseball, but as someone who this movie is geared towards, somebody who loves the Harry Potter wizarding world and who's been in it for years and just really appreciates it, this was a fantastic, no pun intended, experience <laughs> it, it was it was really good i mean it had its flaws i mean what what movie doesn't in this franchise let's face it riddled with them but uh overall extremely enjoyable film i, I enjoyed every second yeah th this whole 
new Fantastic Beasts series is really interesting. Like, because the a criticism I hear about it a lot is that oh, it's 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 not the same. It's lost the magic, and I, I don't think they're trying to go for the exact same magic that you had in, say, the Sorcerer's Stone, where you know we come in. It's this it's this classic coming of age story across the seven books, where you get to grow up with this character, and it's, everything is magical because you're a child coming into a new world. Here, this is a story about adult characters facing adult problems, and they are and the intended audience is people who have already spent seven books, eight films in this world. Yeah. So it, it, they're very fundamentally different stories. And this is, the first one was, was, you know, it was almost darker than Harry Potter in the way, like it had the Fantastic Beast angle. Then it also had this incredibly, like, you know, these death chambers where they suck your memories out and force you to watch them as you're sucked into death. <laughs> like, what the heck? Well, like, and it the obscurial itself is, is Yeah, it had this incredibly dark concept. undertones. And this film, takes that and runs with it there's there's like babies die and yeah more than once uh, it's like this is a very intense uh movie it's, it's a movie for grown-ups definitely because look now looking at this film i was watching like the the, the uh, promotional materials and they're talking about how they wanted to make this kind of like a spy thriller and it really is this is like a cold war thriller to its bones and i'm like i think david yates especially in his direction created this very methodical slow burn where it feels like every transition was planned into the next one and all the scenes kind of just play out in this very patient fashion with these gorgeous shots like oh this movie is just beautifully directed um i was getting kind of worried like watching fantastic beasts i don't think his direction is all that good it's probably my least like visually my least favorite of the six films he's directed in the harry potter series but yeah this one i feel like he actually had time to plan it out and just Every sequence, I think, regardless of whether the script always works, every sequence is just it just draws you in with the visual storytelling, with the way every, all the shots are composed. And I think even as the script, we'll get into the script later, but as the script falters, as we as the story builds and builds and builds, David Yates is just drawing us in with this very slow just just slowly ratcheting up the tension till this really explosive finale, which is one of my favorites in the entire uh, series. Oh, and the intro too. The intro is also oh, yeah. is also uh, they're great bookends to this. And you know, it's it's funny because like uh, earlier in in less official discussions with you, I had mentioned it sort of suffers from middle chapter syndrome, and I, I kind of got that wrong, because it's almost like the inverse of middle chapter syndrome, where, you know, in, in typically in middle chapter syndrome, you end up with a not-so-weak beginning and a not-so-weak ending, but a really healthy, meaty middle, and this is almost like the inverse of that, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, I mean, I, I don't really have any complaints about the ending or the beginning, and, and my complaints do come in the, the broad middle like the middle chapter syndrome would be all the various story threads that kind of weave throughout and don't have a clear conclusion right they, there, there are a couple threads get a very satisfying end but then there's like 1700 other threads that are going to be continued and then they bring up some new threads at the very end like there's a massive spoiler we're not going to get into at the end that is a whole nother can of worms which you've probably you probably know what we're talking about but just in case someone's listening who hasn't watched the film it's, Which you should if you haven't. Let's just move into that. You have J.K. Rowling is writing these films. In the first film, you had you had uh, there were a lot of hints that this was a novelist and not a, tra a trained screenwriter writing. Like with you, kind of like John Voight's character. Like why is John Voight in that movie? <laughs> and just there's 
or then you have the you know the crazy uh, Puritan lady who hates witches. Like there's a lot of threads that felt just kind of even though they fed directly into the same th- every yeah. single thread fed in, fed into the theme of how society and different people react to monsters. They felt like there was like three or four too many, and here I think there's like six or seven too many. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. And what, what I've been saying this for, I've been saying this to, you know to you that this feels like a novel. It there's does. about a dozen. There's about a dozen characters. Like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not lying. Like, there are literally a dozen characters in this film, and and it's not like when you have a sloppy movie like Suicide Squad. That's my favorite punching bag, <laughs> like, or tra- one of the Transformers movies where just none of the pieces feel like they fit. Every like J.K. Rowling is an incredible novelist, and every single piece she puts in here fits. Right. But there are just too many pieces and so the central theme of this story is about you know there's a bunch of the characters searching for belonging searching for a family searching for some their place in the world there's also another uh section about grief and the secrets we keep and how that just that weighs on a person and destroys them from the inside out like Every character in the film, in some way, feeds into those themes. And and looking, just look, it's it's so funny. Like looking at uh, at face value, it feels like oh, this is such a mess. But then the more you think about it, it, there's all these all these things actually do feed into the story. So it's not like they're objectively oh, this is objectively bad. But right. they, they, it's like there's flaws. It's it's flawed in that there's just so much. I would say so much good things happening that none of the good things are able to do, to fully mature and develop into like greatness. Right. The way if you had a, kind of about half, a half dozen of the subplots, like you could have had, you know, all these this great stuff at the end. Instead, we have good, but not as satisfying as it should have been considering just how much potential for drama this story has. Yeah, I think part of that stems from the fact that she is used to writing novels where you have, you know, two, three hundred pages to sprawl out and or six and, six seven hundred pages yeah yeah as she went yeah yeah as is her want in in later books but uh yeah i mean typically you have a lot more uh time and space to develop these things whereas you know a more experienced screen wa- screenwriter would incorporate a lot of the ideas but condense the characters um and you see it all the time with adaptations where certain uh superfluous characters in a book are, are condensed into other characters or their ideas or themes are woven into another character in order p- to preserve some brevity. Cause you know, here, you know, two and a half hours, <laughs> you know, to tell that same idea, to communicate that same idea. It's, it's not so easy to do, but I, I will say for this being her second foray into screenwriting, she's getting better. I mean, I think it's got more of, more superfluous characters like you said there's definitely a lot of it um but you're right they all connect it's not that they don't and we do have to be fair in the the sense that yes it's got to be able to stand on its own merit but these are uh this is a series and so Mm -hmm. it's going to continue certain things are going to resolve in later entries now what I would prefer is that every character is given the Newt treatment, where we know Newt is going to grow later on. He has grown, but there's a definite beginning point in the story and an end point in the story where you can see the growth. And mm-hmm. and he's not done, but you can see the progress. And some of these characters, you just can't even see the progress. So, Yeah, like the, the first film had that wonderful – spoilers for the first film – where that conclusion at the end as Jacob's about to go back out into the rain and he says, you know, why did you keep me along? He said, because you're my friend. And that, that feels like this incredible momentous 
growth for the character of Newt, who has retreated from humans and retreated back into into the you know his sanctuary with all his animals. Now he's finally allowing himself to open up and you know connect with Tina, connect with Jacob, and that, that felt like a real satisfying arc. You do have something of that here. Um, there is a there is a definite beginning to his arc and an end to his arc. But it it doesn't feel nearly as momentous of a character uh, moment no. for any of the characters. Like the only characters I feel that got enough screen time in this movie are Dumbledore and Grindelwald, and mainly because they're more tertiary; they don't require as much time. And to be fair, with Dumbledore, we have so much history going with him that works in his favor. Um, granted, I find it really, really interesting that a lot of the unexplored ideas in the movies that got cut from the books are being explored here. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think that, uh, like you said, they were given... It's because their their screen time fits their role, I think is the best way to put that. Like, Jude Law doesn't have an enormous amount of screen time. Uh, but, but he's he, wonderful in every second. Absolutely. And he accomplishes everything he is supposed to in that screen time. Whereas some of these people have long screen time and I can't figure out for the life of me why they're there. Yeah, and there's a, there's a wonderful talent that's also a weakness that Rowling has in making every single character she presents delightful. And it, like she like it's, when you read the books, these little characters that come in for bit parts, you can feel like they, they you know, they had a life before they came to us. They say they're couple quirky lines and then they go off and have a nice long life afterwards and they there's they feel like they're real people just popping in and out and in a novel that's fine you, you can have a character that comes in makes it you know makes an impression and then leaves in a, in a wonderful quirky way and then you never see him again it, just, it feels natural in a novel however in a film whenever you have a, a character that comes in if, if a character feels like they have a soul in a movie you kind of expect them to come back and mean something later on Right, and so she, so th- th- these worlds are populated by all these, you know, colorful characters, and you have and Yates. I think Yates is wonderful at casting, to where basically every character has a very distinctive look. Even all the, all all the just little people here and there, they all have like he casts actors that look very interesting. Yeah, and so it, it makes a very rich looking world. And then you have these like, and for example, I don't think it's much of a spoiler. There's a character called Bunty who is yeah. Newt's assistant in his little zoo. And she has like is a really good actress. There's this wonderful, awkward little uh, repartee they have, and she obviously has a huge crush on Newt. And you know, there's a, a nice little scene that would have you know, been a the great beginning to a subplot, and then they leave and we never see her again. Yeah. And like, I, I it's not a bad thing that the characters it feels the I mean that the world feels so rich, but there's so many things and characters like her. That while it gives the world such a rich tapestry, it makes every single scene engaging because there are so many wonderful characters and so much life and magic in the people. But once you get to the end, it's just there's so much information that because you when you see a character like Bundy, you keep that in your head and you're remembering her for the rest of the film because it feels like she has some reason to be here. When you get to the end, you realize, oh, she didn't. And it's just there's there's so much information that when you finally realize what the film is about, you're, you're also juggling all that information with a lot of useless stuff that was given to us throughout the film. Yeah, I think that's because, again, in a novel, every every word on the page is given equal weight, but we're dealing with a visual medium here, which means that, you know, typically we're trained as moviegoers to see a striking design and go, okay, that's somebody i got to remember, that's information I need. And 
it's okay to have striking designs that are kind of background, sort of Boba Fett, Captain Phasma type things, but you can't do it with everyone or you end up with information overload, which I, I, I admit my first response to this movie was a bit of confusion. Not not confusion in that I didn't understand it, but it was just like, man, that was a lot to bite off and chew. And not all of it was was good meat. Some of it was gristle, you know. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. it's just yeah. hard to tell. And uh, you know, th- that being said, you know, you got characters like Grendelwald being portrayed by Johnny Depp to masterful levels. Like I I think this might be my favorite Johnny Depp role. I mean, Jack Sparrow in the first yeah. two films is that, that's you know that's legendary. Yeah. Um. I, I, at least the first film is you know he he got nominated for an Academy Award for that. that that's it was a different time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 definitely a great performance. I think uh you know if I if I take a bit of my current distaste for the the current pirates franchise off i can go back and realize yeah that that was a landmark performance and something we should honor but uh right now i'm not in the mood to appreciate it so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna give the edge to grindelwald here I, but uh-huh. i say that because he's captivating in every scene uh whenever he's around i'm paying attention to him um uh, not not in a scene chewing way but in a way that's appropriate because he is a megalomaniac villain and he's supposed to take up all the oxygen in the room and and he does he does it well <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's very different it felt a lot like his role from uh, murder on the orient express where he had a kind of a smaller side role that he just you know owned every scene he was in but didn't didn't like uh overwhelm the screen the way he often does in say tim burton films where you know he's become <laughs> this ridiculous presence where it's literally you're going to this movie to see johnny Depp act crazy and he's not doing that here. He's, you know, he has his character. He's giving a fantastic performance, but it's just in those scenes. And he, he owns those scenes. And his presence is kind of over the entire film because he's the main villain. But he doesn't smother it in that way. Um, just about the performance. It's, yeah, it's not wild. It's not crazy. It's, it's very subdued and quiet. He, he, you know, he never, I don't think he ever even raises his voice. But he, as an actor, when he's just standing there, you know this person is important and I just, I just have to look at them. It's like, you know, when Tom Cruise or, you know, or Denzel Washington is on screen, there's, there's just that, uh, uh, magnetism about him. Yeah. And, and that's what this character needs. This is a character that is, you know, it's, he's slowly unlike, like Voldemort wasn't a charismatic presence. I think he just, he just attracted evil people. Grindelwald is, someone who is trying to portray a front to the world and trying to gather in people uh you know through rhetoric through um you know appealing to the things they want and telling them what they want to hear he's a he's this you know incredibly charismatic presence almost like kind of like a cult leader yeah um jim jones or you know someone who's just you know by just kind of the power of personality and rhetoric rhetoric i'm not i'm not going to get in there are obvious political connotations there that i'm not going to touch yeah but not with a 10 foot pole but he still plays that so well and there's a wonderful there's a speech towards the end that goes that's quite long but i just could it was absolutely enrapturing to watch him perform it and he just like plays the scene like a symphony and, and not even you know not touching the political connotations not touching johnny depp's personal life and allegations just not even going to that you know we're just talking about what he the skill and work he did in the you know his 20 minutes of screen 
of screen time. And I think he is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, Voldemort is more of a hammer in search of a nail. And uh, Grindelwald is, is much more surgical in his in his ways of dealing with people. And I think he he values people in a way that Voldemort... Did you get it backwards? No, no, no. no. I mean, what I mean is, like, um, I think he values people as a resource more than Voldemort does. Like, hmm. Voldemort believes in his own strength and his own power and his own might, whereas... Grindelwald is capable of recognizing that in someone else and then leveraging it. Um, and I appreciate that because it's, it's a different take. Um, I, I have always thought that Rowling was really good at the side villains um, because they tend to have a little more depth than, than Voldemort did. Not that Voldemort is without depth because he's, he's an extremely uh, complex character with his own motivations and backstory and everything, but I... I I like the flavor of Grindelwald better. Um, mm -hmm. I just I, that is something I really appreciate, and I think it is partly owed to this kind of Cold War thriller style, because he is he is a political enemy in a way that Voldemort was not. Now Voldemort was a political enemy, but you know, like he preferred to use a figurehead. Well, Grindelwald is the figurehead. And the power behind the throne. Yeah, and, and unlike Voldemort, where I cannot sympathize with anyone who chooses him, and I cannot understand why anyone would choose him. Right. Grindelwald is making good points and speaking to the fears of the day, to where you know he you you feel like if you know on a, on a bad day in a really scary world, I could you, you could maybe see yourself or someone you know following him and not hate them too much for it. Right, it, and it's because I think he. Again, he sees people as a valuable resource, and so he's better at speaking to that rather than just scaring them into submission. Yeah, are, are we got to move on to yes, we talk about some of the rest of the cast. Uh, Newt, I, he's still absolutely. I loved like people didn't care for him too much in the first film. I absolutely adored him in the first film. I think he's this perfect picture of an introvert as a hero, which is something we rarely see. Even most movie introverts are actually just kind of extroverts with their own little posse around them. They're just not cool. Like he actually feels like an incredibly, like a person who is just incredibly miserable around other people and just doesn't, doesn't understand how to function the way that an extrovert would around others. And he, I think he plays that every beat and just uh, watching him, just everything he does, like he doesn't, he barely talks, but every, every action he takes is, you know, speaking volumes about who he is and how he's feeling. It, it's all, a, it's a, it's a physical performance as much as, you know, the, as a vocal and facial one. And I think he absolutely knocks it out of the park in portraying a type of character that we so rarely see and almost never as a lead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do love Newt. I, I actually, um, heresy here i like him better than harry i always felt that harry was a little a little too rash for my tastes and and i get it because he's supposed to be that kind of bold gryffindor character mm -hmm. but i i do appreciate newt so much he's he's relatable in some ways that harry is not um there are times with harry where you feel like he's being a snotty brat and, and with <laughs> newt you just you never get that like there is Without spoiling, there is something he does in this movie where he can clearly see his own interests and how he can relate what he's feeling to those interests, but he's very bad at relaying that to others. 
And it's adorable. Salamander eyes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that brings yes. us to uh, uh, Tina, played by Catherine Watterson. Another character that gets really criticized that I absolutely adore. Like She's not in, not as absolutely you know introverted as um as nude is but kind of bumbling and pathetic and just just kind of not entirely fitting into the structure of the world in a similar way that makes so much sense why they would find each other um and she doesn't get nearly as much as i would like but every scene she is in she's also wonderful i think um she's probably the character that i that i wish got uh the most had more screen time i think like the first film, especially, I think she was really wonderful. Here, she's much more. Her role is downplayed a lot more, but I think she's still very good. Well, I think to to be fair, um, even though she has less time, and she does good with the time she has, I feel like Newt elevates her, just because he's so he's so relatable that he cares about her, so we care about her. Yeah, and and not that not that it, not that she's not good in her own right but to be fair to Rawlings she didn't need as big a role because she was A already established and B has the power of Newt to find her in winning her over to us and uh, then there's uh, Dan Fogler as uh, Jacob Kowalski this guy is incredible uh, like I, he doesn't yes, he have a, like a lot of credit like I had never even heard of him before the first film and then he just blew me away and this film I think he's even better it's like he's like he's ostensibly the comedic relief but he also has some of the most heartbreaking scenes in the film, and I, and the mm-hmm. way he can flip between just this outrageous comedy, you know, you know, laughing, just screaming, and then just it cuts to his face, and you just see this fear or misery, and like that. That's a, he's, he's so good, and neither, and it all feels completely in line with this character, which is almost almost in some ways the heart of this this series. And, I think so. Yeah. And it's just, I, I, I am just in awe of the way he can balance both sides and also, and, you know, give us such a fantastic dramatic performance. Um, and he's just hilarious. He is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, trigger warning. Don't do a drinking game with the word fantastic in this episode. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, uh, he is indeed fantastic. I, I love Jacob as a character. Um, you know, the, what's interesting is like the first trailer for the original Fantastic Beast. I thought, oh no, yes, it's it's Happy Uncle Vernon, um, <laughs> but but it's not. He he is in many ways the heart of this series, and he carries it so well. And you can't help but just relate to him. And in many ways, he's sort of us, you know, because he's a Muggle, and you know he's got these wonderful wizard friends, <laughs> and he's just. He's so good-natured that he just gets swept along on these rides and goes with it, you know? <laughs> and and really, that's sort of an analog for us as the audience, but it's it's so much more than that. He's just an endearing character. I appreciate um, everything Fogler does in the role. Like you said, he can, he can roll with comedic and tragic and sad and dramatic and, and you know, with a, a huge range to him that that I did not expect and and honestly from that first Fantastic Beast trailer I did not expect to like this character but he has won me over in in both the original and, and especially here cuz cuz here he's given some things which are a little more hefty and and that works it works so well Mm-hmm. And uh, the last one of the cast that I really want to highlight is Zoe Kravitz as Lita Lestrange or Lestrange. I'm not sure how it's actually pronounced, but 
Again, this, coming back to some mild criticism, I, I think this character is also every every scene she is in is an absolute gut punch. I think, but she she's a character that really needed a lot of a lot more time, and this kind of coupled with a uh, Callum Turner as Newt's brother, they're together. Like the their relate their moments of their moments of their relationship together are are good and sweet, but like that whole subplot feel felt like it just needed more time, more scenes. And I know there's a deleted scene in the trailers with Zoe Kravitz. Um, and so it's just, you know, coupled with all my praise, I think for her performance is as this character who's kind of really weighed down by tragedy and grief is, I think, really, really heart wrenching. Yeah, just a, I think a very excellent dramatic performance that I wish we got a lot more of. And I hope there's an extended edition of this movie. Maybe there's like a half hour of footage of the, on the cutting room floor that would f- fix most of our criticisms. But I, I could definitely watch more of pretty much every one of these characters and her especially. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you're right. She was a bit underserved. Um, but uh, yeah, much of what what uh, is done on screen is is really weighty. Um and it, it's it's captivating. And again, she also sort of benefits from, well, Newt likes her, so, so we should too. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they rely on that a little less here. Um, I think uh, Lita is an excellent character and proof that not all Slytherins are complete evil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she also has a relationship with Dumbledore that goes a long ways to giving her a sense of weight in history. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, um. May I derail us for a frag of a second and just say Absolutely. that there is a moment of, of pure blissful fan service with cameos I did not expect that I <laughs> adored. And I'm not going to spoil it. I just wanted to throw that in there. I could think of about 20 different scenes I could apply to, but okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular in, in which uh, – well, it's in the trailer. We, re- we visit Hogwarts. Okay. Uh, I think and, I don't know. Yep. <laughs> and then perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. And, and there's still a lot more cast that we haven't you know discussed. Just uh, I would say pretty much all around the cast uh you know acquits themselves quite admirably. I want to talk about the beast really really quickly. Um. I think they were really good in the first film, especially uh the Arumpus. Is that what it's called? The uh, the Arumpent. Arumpent. Yes. That like and then the the Niffler. The Nifflers are back, and they're if possible even more adorable. I love the Niffler. Every scene he is on screen is just my heart melts and it's adorable. Uh, and then there's another, this uh, Zawu, I believe is what it's called. It's basically a dragon kitty. It's, <laughs> and it's one of probably the coo- one of the coolest animal designs like I've ever seen in a movie. It's, it's super it's, Chinese. It's, yeah. It's pretty much a, a Chinese dragon with a kitty's face. So he's like, it's always moving. Anjali has this huge tail. It's always like just spinning in circles behind it. And then yeah. it has this incredible ability to jump and teleport, which is shown in the trailers. And one of the coolest visuals I've ever seen, where it, the way it jumps through space, it's just, and then it's just, it's also very incredibly cute. There's a way they, a device they use to catch it, which is <laughs> yeah. just absolutely wonderful. Um, Yeah, so um, just a, as, like, I can't believe just they they were able to create something this just mesmerizing of a, a creature that's only you know on screen for a few minutes and and they find a way like I I've never understood entirely why Fantastic Beasts 
is about the rise of Grindelwald, but okay. <laughs> and I think they found a very, an even more organic way to weave the beast in. The, the first film, like, it felt like, oh, now we're doing beasts, now we're doing Grindelwald. And here, I think the beasts all pretty much come into the plot when they're needed, and they serve a, a legitimate function in the story, and they, they feel natural to the, to the floor of the plot. They don't feel like a distraction as much yeah. as they did in the first film. In the first one, it was basically Newt's escape to zoo. How do we fix this? And and in this one, it's Newt happens to be a magizoologist, and they happen to come across beasts in there. Oh, look, an obstacle. Have my yeah. dragon kitty. It's awesome. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I actually kind of like that because it, it is interesting that we're getting a character that has an actual job, like – you know, like, <laughs> there's like a career to this guy, and and I look forward to the day when we can, when we can uh, pick up a copy of Fantastic Beast and where to find him and think, wow, I know the guy who wrote this. You know, like <laughs> I'm sure there's pro- there's probably a lot of tie-ins and callbacks to it that we that I, no one knows because they haven't read that you know 17 times like you have the Potter books. <laughs> Another thing I really want to highlight, uh, going a bit longer than I wanted, but there's a lot to talk about. Uh, was James Newton Howard's score? Um, He's he's not one of my favorite composers. I don't think he doesn't have like nearly the thematic range of a guy like Williams who you know can create like a half dozen distinct themes for each film. Howard seems like he'll create like one central theme, and you know have it appear here and there throughout the film, you know slowly growing and maturing it till the climax where he like lets that lets it go, and it's it's like since you it, he's been priming you for it, it feels so. You know, cathartic and emotional when you finally get the fully matured theme at the end. Yeah. And this film is no exception. I think there's a really uh, is that that like like ah ah ah. I, I'm not a singer, but whatever. But like, is that that <laughs> that little vocal motif that appears throughout the film? And then it, it kind of comes together as this really powerful theme at the end. Um, so it's a really lovely score. Uh, possibly my favorite I've heard from yeah. him. Yeah. I I think I've got a couple. I can think of at least one that I liked more, uh, but but I will say that uh, you know I am glad that they uh, are not relying too heavily on what Williams did with the with the main Harry Potter theme. There is one use of it here that I think is perfect, deliberate, and tasteful. I love that they open the film with very subtle, quiet Hedwig's theme before moving into Fantastic Beast music, just to remind you this is you're in this world, but now right. this is a new story. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that too. I, you know, I I will say it's like that is the iconic theme of this series. It started out Hedwig's theme, but it is, for all intents and purposes, the Wizarding World theme, and. You know, it's especially tied to Hogwarts and Harry, of course. But you know, when it is used in the score, it's it's very very well done, and it's very easy to get that wrong. Looking at looking at you, uh, um, Danny Elfman, Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a can of worms we're not going to. No. Uh, so finally, I, I just want to briefly talk about like the reaction to this film. And like, what, like, who is this movie for? We talked, we, we said that it's kind of for fans, but there's a lot of fans who don't really like this movie. And that's understandable because it is a very flawed film. Like, as the, when all the pieces come together, not all of them fit. Right. Um, so, like, what, what do we think the, this series is trying to be? Um, as, like, as opposed to what the, the Harry Potter series was? Like, what, what do you think is, who's the audience for this? And 
how how should they go forward from here, considering the fact that not everyone's responding to it the way they did Harry Potter? I, I'm going to be honest. Like, to me, what Fantastic Beasts represents, what it feels like to me, um, and I'm going to have minor spoilers for the Deathly Hallows here. I'm just going to lay it out because okay. that's actually pertinent to what's going on because this is Very. this is a a story that has matured over time and i mean from sorcerer's stone to crimes of grindelwald it is maturing and deepening with each entry into this franchise whether it be book or movie and i remember distinctly reading the deathly hallows and there's a subplot in there that is only glossed over in the movies but in the book there there is a a book by rita skeeter about the life and lies of albus dumbledore um and there is a quality to reading some of the the inserts in there that kind of shatter some innocence that it yeah. destroys some illusions you might have had about a wonderful character that you enjoy and by the end of it you re- you come to realize that this is yes a tragic and flawed individual who spent his entire life trying to redeem that and that is that is a mature lesson in Harry Potter and I feel like this is an outgrowth of that to s- to see people's regrets and how they deal with them, how they grow past them, or how they fail by them, you know, which is one of the major themes of this movie is, you know, regrets and grief and <laughs> secrets and lies. And I, I just think this is just the natural outgrowth of where the franchise was headed. Yeah, it's a, a coming of age story is the most universal story you can ever tell. That's why Harry Potter is what it is. That's why Star Wars is what it is. And as the series grows, they have to become something different. And this series is evolving into something different. It's not a coming-of-age story. It's it's this much darker uh, you know, story about how society views monsters and how our search for belonging in the world. And that's that's not going to have the same emotional pull that a story about, you know, growing up a little boy who finds his way into the wizarding world, or like a Narnia story. Like and I think that's just kind of a symptom of how of a series, you know, changing and evolving to stay relevant, to continue to have something meaningful to say, it's going to get more and more specific as it goes in different directions. And I, unfortunately, I think that will mean losing fans along the way. I don't think it means they should try to push the fans away. No. But I, I don't think Rowling and Yates have very specifically, tr- they're trying to create something different in you know at, at its core than what Harry Potter was. And I, th- I think that's exciting because it means something new. It means so- continued relevance. It means, you know, continually more and more fascinating themes and characters but it also means we're not going to have that same innocence and purity um and i just think that that, that's a a a symptom of a series that has gone on 10 films yeah and i'm just shocked that she's able to still be plumbing the depths of these themes and coming up with new and fascinating characters and new you know very intelligent looks at the world and the fact that she can still be doing that 10 films in i think is astonishing and yeah, it is unfortunate that this this film will not have nearly the same wide appeal, and I, I think they're going to have to do some things as they go forward to hopefully, you know, hang on some of the fans to keep getting that box office money. Sure, but I, I think the ex is a lot of so much of how we view film is expectation. I think it, you can't go into these films expecting more Harry Potter, which feels weird being in the Harry Potter series, but it really it is something different, and that, that's not that, unfortunately that's not for everybody. Yeah, well, I mean. It's not a Harry Potter story. It's a story in the wizarding world. That's why there's a shift. That's why they they 
they stamp this with the wizarding world in the beginning and you know this is an established universe now and we can leave the school grounds you know <laughs> and and mm-hmm. find out what's on the edges and what's on the edges ain't always pretty um and i think that's that that doesn't mean there's no magic because i mean how can you see scenes like the circus arcanus or all these wonderful fantastic beasts and and not feel that there's still a sense of magic to this world oh there oh yeah there absolutely is like dumbledore's glove like that yeah it's like <laughs> That 30-second sequence has all the magic of, of, you know, a Harry Potter film. The creatures, especially, I think. But just this, I think Yates, Yates really understands this world. And he's, you know, he, he's creating this, con- we're constantly getting new, incredible spells, like things like the Obscurus, just these new, we're constantly getting new, deeper looks into the magical nature of the world that I think he's, he, he's able to weave into the story really well. Right. It's just the magic in the adult world is not always as whimsical or even dare I say fun as the magic of school children you know and I think I think part of where this series gets its identity is of course magic I just think that the magic in Fantastic Beasts comes from a different source it's just it's a different kind of story and if if you can't accept that you're not going to enjoy it mm-hmm. and, but I think the one thing they could do to uh keep this theory this series prospering is give uh, jk rowling a screenwriter she is yeah. uh one of my favorite novelists i think you know you give her a novel and she's unstoppable she's not a screenwriter and that really shows like fantastic beast it, it's it's structurally it's a novel yeah i mean crimes of grindelwald especially it it, it functions like that it, you know it has the a lot of the same beats of her harry potter films it, it ends with a gigantic exposition dump. i wanted to read like, this it, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I, I want to read this book, yeah. but she needs someone to come in and say, these, you know, these five or six characters, cut them out and give their their information to these other characters. You know, don't make it so convoluted. We don't like we just we don't need it as as messy as it is. And I think just someone I don't know if it's Steve Clovis because I, I I've only seen him at, at, you know in the Harry Potter films, but like just they need someone to come in like a Christopher McQuarrie who knows film like inside and out who can tell you exactly what you need and what you don't yeah you know keep her ideas keep her characters keep her themes but get someone else to structure the plots and to pair away things that just don't need to be there yeah she can tell someone she can tell someone i want this theme to get communicated with these characters and somebody can come in and go okay you don't need five characters to do this theme you know (laughs) You, you can do it with three you know and you can overlap some of these like you don't need one person selling an idea when you can have one person selling two or three ideas in different angles you know i, I i'm interested to see how they react to the more negative reviews and the the smaller box office um i hope they don't do what they did like to like the dceu but i, I think jk rowling strong enough to at least keep the ship guided in the right direction but hopefully the studio also steps in and says we need to make some slight changes uh, yeah we'll see how that turns out but uh i'm i am absolutely thrilled to see where this story is going yeah i want to spend more time with these characters i want to spend more time within this world and there's there's some mysteries that that feel really weird right now that that might be able to be uh you know I think J.K. Rowling is the master of retconning. Yeah. <laughs> so there are some subplots here that I don't like. I think if she doesn't write, she she could make me love them in the next film. So we, yep. we'll, we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. 
There's the name Reconning Games. I know it's hard. <laughs> it is really hard. So really quick, uh, what is your star rating for this film, and how does it uh, rank against the first uh, Fantastic Beasts? Uh, for me, the first one was a four out of five. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you're right in terms of like directorially, it's bland. But I think that the the standalone nature of it, the plot, the characters are so rich that it, it kind of floats it. Um, but this one, I, w- I would give a three out of five. Still a strong, compelling idea. Um, it's not a singular idea. I'm simplifying my language here, but um, <laughs> but it's it, something it, Rowling should have done. Yeah, yeah, right. No, but it, it is a really strong, compelling idea. But there are some messes there, and and I'm partially giving it a pass on some of this stuff because it is part of a series. We are in a middle chapter. Some of these things may be resolved to better the film later on. I can already tell you, like, just knowing who Lita Lestrange is improves the first one retroactively. I can only imagine mm-hmm. what later films are going to do to this one. Yeah, so uh, for me, I would actually give the first one a, a three, 3.5 out of 5. Uh, like, I love the char- everything with the characters. I like the creatures, but it just feels... this The, the narrative itself feels a little messy. Sure. This film has a... I, I think... And, and Yates' direction is rather messy. Here, I think Yates' direction is just absolutely exquisite i'm like yeah. enraptured every t- every for every second of screen time and even though the, it has much less impact on character so i would also give this one a 3.5 although i think i would rate the, the first one slightly higher simply because of how powerful the character arcs are but this one i rate much higher because of how great the direction is so it's it, it's a 3.5 they're both 3.5 but this one is just ever so slightly below the first one yeah i see what you mean so, so that was a fantastic beast the crimes of grindelwald uh, thanks a lot for coming on to talk about it ryan absolutely i enjoyed it i, I look forward to other appearances in the future all right and now i have to go uh, talk to james to talk about uh, army of darkness so uh, we will see you later all right i've chosen my side